Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. I'd like to welcome you to the Spirit Lake campus of Crosswinds Church. It's really good to have you. We are going to be continuing this morning in our study of 1 Timothy. Last week, actually, we took a little siesta from this study. It was graduation Sunday, and Pastor Stephen preached, and he did a great job of reminding us of the importance of taking those times, like graduation, celebrating the, the, the goodness in it, but also when it comes to our care and anxieties about the future, to casting those things to God, to Jesus Christ, who cares for us in the midst of our worries about the future. Now, I personally was especially excited with Pastor Stephen preaching last week because my youngest son, Daniel, was graduating. So, yay. And it gave me a little extra time to, to spend time with him and to enjoy a lot of extra pulled pork that we are now going to be eating until next Christmas in our family. But it was really good stuff. So this morning, we're back in 1 Timothy and we're going to be continuing in that study. And we're going to look at some really practical stuff today. We're going to look at what Paul says to Timothy about what a woman should do when she is caught in a tough situation of being alone and vulnerable in this world. In particular, we're going to look at what Paul says to Timothy when it comes to single moms. What are you supposed to do? And when it comes to elderly women whose children have left the home and whose husbands have now passed into the arms of Jesus and they're left a home alone as a widow. How should they spend their time and energy? So we're going to look at these two crucial, tough questions and tough situations that many women will face during the time of their life. We're also going to have some fun along the way, by the way. We're going to look at what it takes to be a good nun, just in case you were wondering. And we're also going to have a little fun with the sound of music. And we'll probably be, end up singing The Hills Are Alive with the sound of music. So we'll have some fun as we go through this. Now, since this is the beginning of summer, by the way, and a number of you are new, some of you are visiting, some of you are just beginning to join us for your regular summer attendance, I'm going to take a few minutes here before we dive into the text. I need to bring you up to speed in our study of 1 Timothy. And then I need to bring you up to speed on this very topic of widows, because this is a two-part message. We covered the last part two weeks ago. So I'm going to get you all up to speed, then we'll dive in and continue to move forward. So here's the first thing you need to know. This book of 1 Timothy that we are studying in our Bible was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. Timothy was somebody that Paul had traveling with him through a number of years to mentor him, disciple him, and develop him as a pastor. Paul left him in charge of pastoring the church in the city of Ephesus. Just so you know, Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. The church in Ephesus was incredibly huge. It had literally thousands of people in it. And here is a guy who is a little bit over age 30, in charge of pastoring this church. You think your job is stressful. 
I mean, think about what it was like for a 30-year-old guy pastoring this church. And not, was it, it was not an easy pastorate because Paul tells us in this letter that there were a number of issues in the church that needed to be fixed. A number of situations had gone wrong and they needed to be dealt with. The very first third of the, the letter, Paul talks about an issue of theology. Essentially what had happened was people in the church and even leaders in the church had begun to drift away from Jesus Christ. They were sort of treat, treating Jesus like he was a pair of bell-bottom jeans. Now, why do I say that? Bell-bottom jeans go in style and then they go out of style. And I assume none of you are wearing them this morning because they're out of style. And they're treating Jesus like he's a pair of jeans. He's out of style right now. We want something new, something fresh, and something different. And Paul is adamant. Jesus does not go out of style. His coming, his birth, his death, his resurrection is the one unrepeatable event in the universe. And everything about us in the church all dovetails back into him. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen, totally. Now, in the middle third of the book, he dealt with what it was about with godliness, and in particular, he dealt with what his church leadership looked like, because their church leadership had gone a little screwy too. So he spent time looking at what are the qualifications for overseers. By the way, that's the same as an elder. Elders and overseers are synonymous terms inside of the New Testament, and he gave us the qualifications for elders. And then he also covered the qualifications for deacons, and we studied those earlier in the series. Two weeks ago, we began the last third of the book of 1 Timothy. And in this last third section, he talks about relationships in the church and how they work and how important they are. And the first thing he said in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is this, that the church is totally different than your CrossFit class and your noon Kiwanis meeting. It is. Because those things, they're clubs that you're a part of. But the church is not a club. The church is a family. Jesus has knit us together. And those who are older than us, he says, we are to treat like they're mothers and fathers. We are to give them honor. We are to give them care. We are to give them respect, like our own parents. Those who are our age or younger, we're to treat them, he said, just like our own brothers and sisters. When there's a crisis or a need, you're there for family, right? You're there. And you're there for not just your biological family, but in the church, we're there for our church family as well. Because we are family. Now, immediately after introducing, very shortly, this idea that the church is a family, he dove into a lengthy a discussion on a particular problem that the church family was facing. And that was how to deal with widows. This is a problem that they were facing in the ancient church. But just so you know, how to deal with widows is a problem we also face today in the modern church. And if you're following along in your outlines, we're right there on the very top. What does the Bible say about widows? 
And the first thing you need to realize is when we think of widows, what typically comes to mind is an 80-year-old woman who has just recently lost her husband at age 79. Now, technically, that is a that may be a widow, but the biblical definition of a widow is much broader than that. In fact, if you're following on your outlines, I put it on here under point one. A widow, according to the Bible, is a woman of any age who is left alone in this world, either through the death, desertion, or divorce from her husband. Any reason that you find yourself alone in this world, you are technically, biblically considered a widow. So single moms, when you read widow in the text, it is addressing you. You are left alone and you do not have the care and protection of a husband. And what you need to understand as we dive into this topic of widowhood is this. God and the church and His church are to have a great heart of compassion towards widows, women who are left alone and vulnerable in this world. Now, this could be a separate message in and of itself. To actually trace this through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, I did some of that in my studies this week, and I was astounded at God's consistent care and the verses that address the heart of God towards women who are left alone and vulnerable in this world. In fact, you find that the very first ministry of the early church in Acts chapter 6 was providing food to what? Widows. It's very important. We see this all over the place. And as God's church, as His people, we are to have the same heart of, towards widows as our Lord and Savior. We are to be known as a people with great compassion towards women who are found alone and vulnerable in this world. And I can simply can summarize it with this, with James chapter 1, verse 27. Scriptures say this, that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You want to do something that is really pleasing to God? You care for children who are alone and vulnerable in this world. You care for women who find themselves desperate, alone, and vulnerable in this world. Now, you might say, may say, why is this so incredibly important to the church and to the heart of God? And the reason we ask that question is because we live in a different context in our modern day. In the ancient world, there was no government programs that sent you a check each month because you were alone and vulnerable. There was no such thing as an alimony check from your ex-husbands. If you were a divorced single woman, you found yourself alone. You found yourself with only your own resources to survive. And as a divorced and lonely woman, you were often considered undesirable. History tells us that many of the younger widows were forced into prostitution simply to be able to survive and put food on the table. This is why the church in Jerusalem saw this immediately as a pressing need. This is why we see in Acts chapter 6 
the church providing food and care for widows. And it wasn't just in the church in Jerusalem, but other churches, as they sprouted up around the ancient world, also immediately picked up care of widows as one of their first ministries. And in Ephesus, this is exactly what had happened. The church of Ephesus had a list a list of widows in the church that they provided food and they provided care for. And uh, this is where it gets a little dicey. Paul comes along in the letter, and we looked at this two weeks ago, and he says, you know, Timothy, this uh, free lunch program that we have at Church for Widows, it's gotten a little out of hand. We need to trim the list. Oh boy, that goes over well, doesn't it? What? You're not going to give food to widows? And Paul details uh, ways that the list of women who are cared for for the church should be shortened. This is point three in your outline. While the church is to have a compassionate heart for widows, it should limit its long-term care to those who are truly widows, is what Paul says. And he gave two criteria for how the church in Ephesus should shorten the list. The first criteria was this. If a widow has family, it is the family's responsibility to care for their relatives. Now, incidentally, nursing homes, great deal. We are so thankful for them. In fact, if you look at them historically, the nursing home care actually has its roots in Christianity itself care for the elderly. And it's very important that it's there, and many people who are in their elderly years are in a tough physical situation. They need that constant 24-hour care. But sadly, the honest truth is that for some people, the nursing home has become a, Grammy, a granny dumping zone. It's where people dump off granny so they can go live their own life and do their own things, and not be inconvenienced by care for their elderly relatives. And the truth is, that's not even Christian. The fifth commandment says this, honor your father and mother. And we often think it's just dealing with you little kids, but it's not. It's dealing with middle-aged people like my age and like many of you when it comes to honoring their aging parents. And that the responsibility we have as middle-aged men and women is to sacrifice for our elderly parents. Now, some people would say you in your middle years sacrifice for your uh, aging parents? That sounds like extraordinary Christian faith. It's not. It's ordinary Christian faith, isn't it? It's the way that God calls us to live and to provide a watch, the watching world an example to follow, that we care for our elderly relatives because they're family. And if we can do it ourselves, we will do it ourselves. So, Paul says, we trim the widow list First of all, by those who have relatives that can provide for them, they should be stepping to the plate and providing for them and not being putting them on the church to provide for them. The second way to trim the list is this. If a widow can care for herself, 
she should provide for herself, Paul says. In this area, Paul talked about what he called the self-indulgent widow. This is a widow who uh, has plenty of money, but she has no husband. Her husband has passed away. Her children are out of the house. She finds herself at home with plenty of resources. And so what does she do? She starts to use her resources to pander herself. She buys expensive clothes. She goes on exotic trips. She has expensive cosmetic surgery. By the way, buying clothes is not wrong. <laughs> trips is not wrong. But it is the focus of this widow's life to be self-indulgent, to pander herself, and to make her widowing years all about her. And Paul says, no, if you're a woman who's like that, he literally says, you're a zombie. He says, your husband may be dead, but you're as good as the walking dead because you should be using your widowing elderly years not to just pander yourself, but your freedom and finances should now free you up to care for others, not just care for yourself. So Paul says this. This is how we trim the list. At the church, since we're family, we care for family, but we only do long-term care for those who are truly widows. A true widow has no family to support her, and she has no finances to care for her. She is truly left all alone in this world, and that is when the church family steps to the plate and provides the long-term care for her time of need. This brings us to the section that we're going to start on this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9. And there's a subtle shift that takes place. And this is very important to notice. Up to this point, Paul has been talking about widows who are in need, who needs the church to provide for them. In verse 9, he flips it and he starts talking about widows who don't want to necessarily the church to provide for them and be a self-indulgent widow, but he's talking about widows who want to spend the remainder of their living years caring for the needs of other people in the church. Giving to other people, not giving to themselves. We're talking about a widow who has whose family is out of the house, whose husband is passed into the arms of Christ, and she wants to take her remaining years and dedicate it to serving others in the church and through the church. And many times, historically, those particular kinds of widows have been provided for by the church. Now, in modern-day parlance, what would we call an organization of elderly widows who are provided for by the church, they're committed to not getting remarried, and they want to give the remainder of their earthly life to serving others in the church and through the church. Do you remember what they would be called? Nuns. Exactly. So what we have here is Paul is going to describe is what would be the criteria for a woman actually becoming a nun. 
And, and I know that may sound strange, and you're going like, I didn't see it in the text. Hold the phone, put your finger in the text, and let me show you. It's in there. So let's begin. What does the Bible say about older widows and nuns? Let a woman be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So, in the early church, there was a group of elderly widows that dedicated themselves to serving others. Today, we would call them nuns. Now, in the early church, this was an officially recognized role, and there was an officially recognized list of them. The scriptures do not give us much details on this, but this passage sort of hints at this being a list. You know, so he says, do not enroll widows on the list, list, there's a group of them, unless they possess these character qualifications. It's not possess needs, it's possess character and age qualifications. And what they want to do is devote themselves to caring for others and be supported by the church in doing it. Now, if you go immediately just beyond the age of the Scriptures, go to the first and, century, first and second century church, like one generation removed from Timothy, you can look in the writings of church fathers like Polycarp and Ignatius, and they talk about an order of elderly widows, essentially nuns, who have given themselves to serving in the church, and the church provided for them. You go one century later, Tertullian, who is also an early church father and legendary leader of the early church, also describes an order of elderly women dedicated to serving others through the church and using the remainder of, the retire or the remainder of their years after becoming a widow to do it. And these are the things that the early church fathers detailed that these women did. These elderly widows gave themselves to prayer, to nursing the sick, to raising orphans, to visiting Christians who had been put in prison, to teaching the younger women's classes, to discipling younger women in the faith, to teaching younger women how to manage their family and how to raise their children for Jesus Christ. So, if you were to become uh, as a nun, as it were, and to be on this list, you had to fulfill these qualifications. Let's go over them. And they're all very interesting here. Number one, you must be a widow over the age of 60. In other words, you must be in your retirement years. Why does he say this age 60? For a variety of reasons. But one of the things you need to know that in the early church, it was considered that uh, women by the age of 60, their sexual passions had cooled and they would not be driven by a desire to be married again. So that was one of the qualifications for being on this list. Secondly, you also need to have been, literally it says this, a one-man woman throughout the balance of your life. 
That's literally what it says in Greek. Just so you know, this is not saying a woman who has only been married once. It is the mere inverse wording for what was used earlier in this letter for the qualifications of elders and deacons. They were to have been one women men. Doesn't mean married only once. It means the elders and deacons were to have been completely faithful to their wife. Not just in actions, but in heart and mind. What this is saying here is you're looking for elderly women that over the balance of their life, by the time they got up to age 60 plus, they had been completely faithful to their husband. They weren't flirts. They didn't have an affair. They were known for fidelity. Now, why is this so important to have over the balance of a woman's life? These women, as we learned earlier, were to teach the younger women how to manage their households and how to live their life as wives and mothers. You needed to have an older woman that you could say, you know what, she went through tough times in her marriage, but she hung on. She made it through. So the younger women would look to her and say, you know, I've got difficult times in my marriage, but I wanna, when I get to age 60, I want to be like her. It's not just the teaching of her words that are touching and changing me and encouraging me, but it's the model of her life that I want to follow. That's why he says you want to look for a women who are over age 60 who have been completely sexually faithful to their husband in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And then he goes over a variety of other outstanding, uh, outstanding character qualities. He says, you must have an outstanding reputation for good works. And the first one he mentions is this. They need to have brought up children. Literally in the Greek it says they need to have nourished children. By the way, ladies, this means more than simply that you fed them. In the context, this is talking about you have raised children in the Lord. You weren't a perfect mother, but you were a good mother who taught your children about Jesus. So what will you do in your elderly years now that you're a widow? You would go back and help train the younger women on how to raise their children to love Jesus, and you would give back. Now, I think the reason that this character quality that you need to be outstanding in heads the list is because if God has given a married woman or a woman the privilege of being a mother, that is the most important work, raising your children. That is the most important work you can do. Not that you can't do other works. Of course. Not that you cannot be involved in a business. Or, of course, you can do those things. But the most important work is raising your children for Christ. I mean, you could be a CEO of Pepsi-Cola, but if you were a bad mom, didn't raise your children for Christ, you wouldn't be able to make this list because it's so important to be a good mom. Secondly, he says, you need to have shown hospitality to strangers. 
you have to have a woman here that through the balance of her life has developed a reputation for meeting the needs of people that come into her community, not just her own family. In the historical context, you need to know that uh, it's very different than it is in our modern day. When you and I travel, we stop at, like, what, Holiday Inn, right? Good place, you know, it's always clean, it's a good place to go. We're comfortable staying there. In the ancient world, motels were not that way. They were literally filled with bed bugs. They were filthy, disgusting places. You didn't want to stay in a motel. If you could, you always wanted to stay with family or with friends. But what happens if you went to a town where you didn't have any family? You didn't have any friends? Then you counted on the hospitality of the people in that city. You counted on the hospitality of a gracious woman who would see you in the city square and would say, come and stay in my house with my husband, with my family. It is a clean place. It is a safe place. We would gladly have you join our family for dinner. Gladly have you uh, give you a clean and safe place to rest your head. And during the night, I will do your laundry and in the morning give you fresh clothes for the journey. That is an outstanding woman. This is what he means when he says you're looking for a woman that over the balance of her life has developed a great reputation for showing hospitality to strangers. Also, he says, you're looking for a woman who has a reputation for washing, washing the feet of the saints. Some of you know that uh, we have a house that's been under construction for about a year. And just Friday, amen, we planted grass. But I can tell you, when you have dirt all around your house, and it rains as much as it does in the spring around here, you are constantly filled with mud, and it's almost impossible not to bring it into your house, even though you take your shoes off. And I was reflecting on that. You know, in the ancient world, they didn't have paved roads. They didn't have concrete roads. They had mud roads. They had dirt roads. The vehicles they used for travel were animals, which didn't put out carbon monoxide. It put out solid waste, which was on the road mixed with your mixed in the mud. And then everybody wore sandals. So what do you think your feet were like when you finally got to the house you were going? They were filthy and disgusting. And before you went in the house, you always took off your shoes. Not just took off your shoes, but the slave, historically, was the lowest slave in the household, had the job of washing the crusties off of your feet. You are looking for a woman who was... Maybe an amazing woman, but an amazing woman of humility who was willing to wash the feet of people, no matter how high her standing in the church or with wealth or with power. When it came to coming to church, she was down there at the front door being your greeter, washing the feet of the saints as they walked in the door, even if she was a wealthy woman. That's the kind of woman you're looking for. Today we would say she's a woman that with a smile on her face gladly cleaned the church toilets because it was serving the church and serving others in need. Number four,
You're looking for a woman that over the balance of her life has cared for the afflicted. Literally, it says, help someone who has found themselves under pressure. This means someone who has found themselves under emotional pressure, mental pressure, physical pressure. This is a woman who sees people that are in a crisis and has the knee-jerk reaction of responding to help them in their time of need. Somebody has a crisis in their family. She's the first one to say, let me make a meal and bring it over your house so you don't have to make dinner. You're looking for a woman who sees that there's been difficulty and people have been out of town. And you know what she says? You know, your house is a mess. Let me come and clean your place because you are so busy with the medical crisis that is going on in your home. You're looking for a woman that when she sees a wife preparing to move and the wife is overwhelmed because she has so many things to pack, she says, you know what, let me come over and help you. You're under pressure. You're in a time of need. I want to step in and help you and be there. That's the kind of woman you're looking for, to be on this list of elite widows, the kind of reputation she has developed. In fact, one of the most famous ways that women in the ancient world who were Christians developed this reputation was through adoption. Many of you probably did not know this, but today when there is an unwanted pregnancy, women are run to a doctor and they have an abortion where the child is removed when he's still behind the walls of their stomach. So they never see that child. In the ancient world, while there were abortifacients that did that, the most common way of getting rid of unwanted children was after they were born. They were brought out and left in the wilderness to die of exposure or to be eaten by animals and birds or sometimes people of the worst sort of nature would find them, take them and raise them to be used as slaves or prostitutes. The early church, great women responded this way. When you see a child that has been left and abandoned. You grab that child, you bring it to my home because I will adopt it and raise it as my own son and my own daughter. You know how you recognize the Christian households? <laughs> because there was a, usually a wife and a mother and children that didn't all look the same. Because Christian women stepped to the plate to help children that were in the time of need. That's what you're looking for. Essentially, he says, you want to find a woman who has devoted herself to every good work. And he's, he's legendary in that way. So, you want to find a woman who is over age 60, who over the balance of her life, or excuse me, I should say woman, I should say women, plural, women who are over age 60, who over the balance of their life, have become known as completely faithful to their husbands. They give to the needs of others. They were mature, godly women. They were incredible mothers. They cared for others inside and both outside of the church. These women are as precious as gold. That's why the church provides for their needs to free them to live as the remaining years of their elderly life, as you would call it, as nuns, to continue caring for others. Now, I know as we talk about nuns, 
many of you, especially ladies, say, I can't connect. Trust me, we don't have like the holy order of crosswinds nuns. But I want you to notice something. These women were not to um, begin that reputation at age 60 or beyond. The only way to be admitted in this order was to have established that reputation in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And to have spent your younger life building, maturing, and becoming more and more godly. And your home becoming a place of greater and more powerful ministry. Not just a home that ministers to your own children, but a home that began to minister to strangers. A woman of complete humbleness and kindness who would even wash the crusties off of strangers' feet. Now, ladies, this is incredibly practical. What you have here is a profile of a woman's life that has been well lived by the time she gets to age 60. That she becomes as precious as gold in the church when she has established those skills. And when she's all alone, the church will provide for her so she can continue giving back to others, especially training younger, younger women to be excellent wives and to be excellent mothers. Amen? Good stuff. Now, let's look at this next text. We move from older women who could qualify to be in this elite group of nuns to single mothers. What does the Bible say to single mothers? It says, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows to marry, to bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Now, I promised I would talk about the sound of music. So now is the time for a little commercial break with the sound of music. Do you guys remember the storyline from that movie? Actually, it's a true story. The story is of uh, Maria. Maria was a young woman who desperately wanted to grow up to be a nun. And what she did was she was put in training to be a nun, and the um, nuns actually sent her to care for the children of George von Trapp. He had six children, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, and their mother had died. And Maria began to care for those children. And she did a wonderful job as a mother to those children. In fact, George was so impressed with her. George, even though he was older than her, asked her to marry him so she could become a wife, or his wife, and their mother. Now, you would think that she would just say yes, but if you know the storyline, she certainly didn't. She ran away. And it was only after counsel that she eventually came back and she married George. You read her autobiography. She says that on her wedding day, she wasn't happy. She was angry. She didn't want to be married. She was only doing it for the sake of the children. She said, I wanted to be a nun 
not a wife and a mother. Now, from what we've learned so far, is that like a real dilemma? If you were to be a nun, how old do you have to be? At least age 60. She's not even close. If you were to be a nun, you already have to have a well-established reputation as an excellent wife and mother and spent the balance of your middle-aged years caring for people and developing a wonderful reputation. She hadn't done that yet. So she shouldn't have even had that as a question. But why did she struggle with that? Here's the deal. As I studied this historically, in the early church, they followed the biblical pattern of nuns were women of these incredible character qualifications who were over age 60. But then as you get further and further into church history, you find the Catholic church at that time began to lower the bar younger and younger ages until they eventually lowered it all the way down to say a teenage girl could choose to become a nun and dedicate all of her life in service to God and not become a wife and a mother. And Paul would say, absolutely not. That is not the way it works. This is what he wants younger widows to do. God wants single moms or younger widows to set their sights on remarrying, raising children, and managing a home. He doesn't want them to set their sights on committing to staying the balance of their life as single, to essentially committing to become a nun in serving others rather than marriage. He says, no, what you should do is you should focus your sights eventually on remarrying and having a family. Now, uh, single ladies, single moms, I recognize there's another problem that's in there, which is trying to find the right godly guy to marry. That's a super challenge in and of itself. We're not going to take a rabbit trail and talk about them, but I realize that's a big problem. What Paul is essentially just going to focus on this morning is the fact that a younger widow should set her sights on eventually remarrying. Now, often what would happen, apparently in the text, is a younger widow's husband would die. In the grief, she would say, I could never love again. I'll never have a family again. And you know what? I also have this pressure. I don't have any financial provision for me. But if I would commit to being part of this group of nuns, elderly women, where the church would care for me, and I could care for others, I'd love to do that. And Paul says, here's the problem. Eventually, when the grief passes, you will want to be married again. You will want to have a family again. You'll become tired of the lonely nights and the empty days you'll eventually start seeking a relationship. And even if you don't actively seek a relationship, you'll start to find yourself vulnerable to inappropriate relationships simply because you are incredibly lonely in this world. Amen? Very true. Additionally, what happens is if you were to commit to this order to be single for the balance of your life, 
for the remainder of your years on this earth, and you were a middle-aged woman, you would have made this promise before God, but not just before God, but before the church. And then what happens if you're a middle-aged woman and your grief passes and you meet somebody and you want to marry and begin having a family again? You have to break your promise to God and break your promise in front of others to the church and you become known as the promise breaker lady rather than the promise keeper lady. So Paul says, you know, just simply don't make this promise and this vow. Is it appropriate for the church to extend benevolence toward a widow or a single mother in the middle years? Of course. But don't necessarily commit yourself to being under the long-term care of the church because you'll be committed to singleness and serving in the church forever. In addition, he says this, a younger widow that pursues singleness, by the way, is prone to three traps. And they are this. Number one, idleness. If the church is now footing your bill and you get free rent and free lunch and you're a middle-aged woman, chances are you're going to be sitting around the house a lot and not necessarily being at full-time productivity. Chances are you'll start to get lazy and start to waste time, and you'll turn into, he says, essentially a social butterfly that goes from house to house and doesn't do a lot of productive things with your life. By the way, a couple other things that idleness lead to. Did you know that idleness is one of the major causes of depression? When you have not a lot of work to do, find yourself depressed. Idleness is also one of the major contributors to controversy. That if you aren't focused and busy on a task, chances are you can start to nitpick and fight. So he says, you know, don't be an idle woman that way. In fact, the scriptures say this, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. Not only would a middle-aged woman tend to idleness, but she would tend towards gossip. Gossip is senseless talk. It is literally discussing everybody else's business instead of simply focusing on your own business. It is talking about what's happening in everybody else's life rather than focusing on what's happening on your life. And to just show you an example of how this works, look at daytime television. What is it filled with? Football and baseball? No. Because the men are at work. It's filled with soap operas. Soap operas are the fantasy lives of other people. And who's sitting home in the day to watch them? People who are being idle. People who are now talking about, did you know what Johnny and Sally said? On, uh, and they gossip about it. So he says, you know, if you're finding yourself trying to commit to singleness in the middle of your life, you'll find yourself gossiping. Last thing he says is this, you'll find yourself as a busybody. Gossiping was talking about other people's lives. Being a busybody is literally in the Greek becoming a meddler. And it's meddling in other people's lives. This is the classic mother-in-law line. You know, the mother-in-law that likes to meddle in her daughter's marriage. Don't meddle. Stay out of your daughter's marriage. 
It's not your marriage. But that's what he says. If you were really busy, you wouldn't have time to meddle. If you were really busy, you wouldn't have time to gossip. He says the best way to avoid the enemy giving an occasion to slander you is simply this. Set your sights on remarrying, having children, having a family, and then using that home that God has given you the chance to start again to not just bless your children, but to bless your community and to bless others and develop a legendary reputation of a home and a family that a mother manages that is known for good works. Lastly, Paul comes back to what is the uh, thing he began with, that Christian women must care for the needs of their relatives, not just their immediate family. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. A believing woman should focus on developing a solid, Christ-like, and godly home home that can minister to the needs of others, not just in her family, but even in the community. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you especially for the, the portrait of what is an exemplary, older, mature woman who can pour back into the lives of the younger women. A woman of sexual faithfulness. A woman who was a great mother. A woman who served. A woman of humility and compassion and care. And I pray, Lord, that you would challenge the wives and the mothers who are you know, managing homes today with that portrait of what of an excellent life lived looks like. I also pray especially right now for the single moms. I pray that you would bring into their life at the right time and in the right way a godly Christian man of great character and that you would bless them with giving them a new home and a new life where they would bear children and that their home would bless their family, it would care for the needs of relatives and even care for the hurting in the very community we live. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.